0: wonder what she meant by that that is called a vain imagination cast it down I was going through something years ago and I was thinking and there was just crazy stuff going on I thought what in the world it felt like the entire earth was against me and I would hear these people talk and I would go why did she say that and God said that's it that's the vain imagination cast it down I was like oh so I was like okay in the name of Jesus I cast that down and then I would just you know pray in my prayer language or I would sing a praise song in my head because I was at work and people might think I was a little bit loopy if I went around singing songs all day so that's what you can do anytime a conversation comes up and you think oh if they ever say that again you know what I'm gonna say I'm gonna say and God says that's a vain imagination cast it down and you're like oh but that was so good I could have said it Squish him like a little tiny bug But God says that's a vain imagination. Cast it down. And then if you hear something, it's like somebody says something to you, even if they're trying to be rude, don't let it bother you. Don't let it get on the inside of you because here's what happens. Um, John Bevere calls offense the bait stick of Satan. When we take that offense on... We get separated from people. It separates us from God. It separates us from the blessing God has for us. So here's my encouragement to you. When the enemy pops up that bait, don't take it. Click the box and say, no way. Just say, I cast that vain imagination down in Jesus' name. You might have to do it 100 times a day. You might have to do it 100 times a minute. Do it that fast if you need to. And do you know it gets easier to do every time? So anyway, I thought if God was on my case, I was going to get on yours. So there you go. (laughs) God bless you guys.
1: (laughs) Really good. Really good. Good job. That's really good. Yep, she's uh, she's really sharp, and uh, I'm really thankful that God's put Trish in my life for a lot of reasons. She's pretty amazing, lady. Amen. All right, if you got your Bibles, hold them up. Repeat after me: say, "This is my Bible." every word in it is true. I am who it says I am, and I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'll be taught God's Word. It's His truth transforming every part of my life, and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I saw a couple of hymnals up there, but I won't hold it against you. That's all right. (laughs) that's all right all right i gotta tell you this story because chuck told me told it to me and i think it's hilarious so um y'all know who jerry clower is right come on um jerry clower the the preacher at the church called jerry clower and said hey jerry there's a there's cousin new gene has been lying a lot and so we got to talk to new gene because he's been lying about everything and he said but here's what i want to do i want to trick him in this lie and so we're gonna we're gonna show him how it feels to have somebody lie to him and hopefully that'll get to him okay so the pastor called new gene and came down to the church and and they got to the church he said new gene i got to tell you what happened last sunday new gene said what pastor he said well here's what happened he said um what's up oh you want some water oh you're scared i'm gonna kick the water over (laughs) Uh, so new gene gets up to the church and and there they are and the pastor said you know what happened last sunday new gene he said what he said a little old cocker spaniel dog was out here at the church and all of a sudden a grizzly bear an 800 pound grizzly bear showed up at the church well this dog and this grizzly bear started fighting each other cocker spaniel and they're fighting each other. They're going back and forth. It got so bad, they went through the back of the church, through all the classrooms. Ladies were screaming and hollering, running every which direction. They ran out the front of the church. The dog and the bear are still fighting. And the dog kills the grizzly bear. And not only did he kill the grizzly bear, he ate the whole thing. And so they both look at New Gene and they said, New Gene, how does that make you feel? He said, Well, you were talking about my dog. <laughs> Oh, goodness that's making lemonade out of lemons right there isn't it that do all right Chuck was that all right thanks buddy appreciate the thumbs up we're going to be doing a two-week series a short series on on a couple of things that happened in the life of Moses Moses is one of my favorite people in the whole entire Bible I mean so many things could be written about Moses and talked about but this week we're going to talk about what's in your hand Next week, we're going to be talking about the five things that will keep you from operating in God's ministry for your life. And you're really going to want to hear that because many of the excuses you have in your life, Moses dealt with. And so we're going to talk about that next week. But if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And that's where I'm going to start today. Then Moses answered and said to God, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Let me tell you a little bit, when when we talk about Moses' life, Moses is an amazing, amazing guy. The first 40 years of Moses' life, he was in Egypt and he lived as a prince. Many of you know he he was a Hebrew, obviously he was a Jew. But uh, Pharaoh at that time had said that all the Jew baby boys needed to be killed. And so uh, Moses' mom put him in a basket of reeds and put Charlton Heston out in the river. And, and he floated down. And the queen of Egypt found him. And, and Moses' mom went down and actually ended up working and raising Moses as his nursemaid. But at the age of 40 years old, Moses saw an a, uh, e- uh, Egyptian Punishing an Israelite slave, and Moses killed the guy. Well, he'd committed murder, and so now he was uh, felon number one, and so they came chasing after him, and he fled to the desert. And the next 40 years in his life, he spent in the desert hiding. And then at the age of 80 years old, you've got to understand this at the age of 80 years old, Moses is walking along, minding his own business with his sheep, and he sees this burning bush. And this burning bush did not get consumed. And so Moses turned aside, and that's kind of where we're gonna start today. But the question I have for you today is what has God given you in your life? What skills and abilities, what experiences has God given you? Some of those experiences that you've gone through may be good. Some of those experiences may be bad. But I wanna really focus on the question that God asked Moses today. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? What have you done with what God has given you? God does not just pour out his power on anyone. If we're faithful in little things, we'll be faithful in big things. If we're faithful in little things, we'll be faithful in big things. So number one on your notes today is this. What have you been given? What have you been given? You know, as I said, it's been said about Moses, you can write this down, it's kinda cool, it's in your blanks on your paper there. The 40 years, the first 40 years of Moses' life, he spent learning to be somebody. In Egypt, the next forty years, he learned to be a nobody in the desert, and in the last forty years of his life, he learned about being the man that God had called him to be, leading the children of Israel towards the promised land and I want you to think about this for a minute. How many of you are above, are above sixty years of age today? Let me see None of the ladies raise their hand, but I appreciate the honesty of the gentlemen today. Thank you fellas <laughs> i 'm thirty nine no you know I mean. Yeah. Here's the deal, I want you to understand something. Get this, Moses was 80 years old when he went back to Egypt and started his ministry. He was 80. So if you feel like you're at the the end of your life and really what you've done for God that's over with, the scripture does not uphold that anywhere. It doesn't uphold that anywhere. The last 40 years of Moses' life were his greatest 40 years. So I don't want you to feel like, hey, you're retired in the kingdom of God and and you're going to be put out to pasture. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. God has a plan for your life. So no matter if you're 80 years old, 90 years old, or 9 years old, God can still use you no matter where you are. You know, so, anyway, Moses turns aside on the holy ground, and understand, this is one of the, also one of the amazing things in Scripture. What if Moses, have you ever thought about this? What if Moses had seen the burning bush, sat there for a little while, watched it not burn, and just kind of thought to himself, would well, not that cool, and just kept on going? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what would have happened? Think about this. What would have happened if Moses had not turned aside? Think about it. I mean, you could extrapolate here that if he had not turned aside, maybe there wouldn't have been 10 commandments. The children of Israel would never have been led out of Egypt. All those miracles would have happened. The Red Sea wouldn't have parted. All the things that Moses did. If he had not turned aside and gone to see what was going on with that burning bush, what would have happened? I want to say this to you today. And you need to really, really hear This. There are times in your life that are critical moments in history that if you don't turn aside and listen to what God has to say, you may miss some very important things in your life. We've all got to slow down, and I keep talking about this, but in our society, I can't say it enough. Our brains are wired to move so fast. I mean, how many of you have ever been in the fast food line and they delivered your food two minutes late and you were mad? We're so used to, we want everything, and we want it right now, and our society has conditioned us to that. You know, we've got texting and email and and everything else. You know, I I remember back in the old days, back in the old days, when I was growing up, we we had a party line at our house. We had a party line, and I remember we lived out in the country, and the phone would ring like twice for us and however many times for our neighbors, and I always wondered when I was talking to one of my many girlfriends that uh, who was listening on the other line because I knew somebody was probably always going to be listening when I was in high school. It always made me nervous, you know. But now everybody has a cell phone. We've got all this different technology and, and it's all about instantaneous. It's all about right now. And yet we have got to learn to slow down and listen to God. I mean, imagine if Moses was out here walking the sheep and he had an appointment at Starbucks. And so he was in a hurry to go get his latte and he saw the burning bush and he goes, well, I don't really have time to do that. And he just kind of kept on. But what about you right now in your life? Are you slowing down enough to listen to what God's trying to speak to you? Because that's what it takes. The word tells us that we have to be still and know that he is God. I said this the other day, but it bears repeating. It's not that God's not speaking to you, it's that you're not listening. And it's hard to listen with the radio on and the TV on and a big crowd around you, and you have got to get alone with God and listen. And I, and I would argue that in that 40 years in the desert, Moses had a lot of time to learn to hear about God's voice. He had a lot of time alone. And I want to encourage you that you have got to take that time every day. Amen? You know, your destiny is wrapped up in some of the small and seemingly insignificant decisions that you make. I'll give you an example. You know, you, maybe you maybe you don't feel like going to class one day or feel like going to school or whatever, but what if, what if at this day, maybe you're in college or maybe you're at, at work and you're getting ready to go to work and instead of going in that day, you don't go and you skip out and maybe the person that you were gonna marry was gonna be in the office that day. And so you miss that opportunity. I mean, you think about some of the little things that could happen. You know, I think about how Trish and I met. I had a friend call and they set, up a, set us up on a blind lunch date. That's what they did. They set us up on a blind lunch date. So I show up thinking I'm going to be meeting with this music guy, uh, this youth pastor about music. And and Trish shows up with one of her friends. And we sit down at this restaurant and we're talking. And, And we begin to talk. And I'm talking to my friend. And she's talking to her friend. Well, all of a sudden, the two friends started talking to each other. And so I had to talk to her now because you know, I didn't want to be rude. So I start talking to her, and I remember having this thought. I mean, I was looking at her. Of course, she's gorgeous, and I'm sitting here looking at her. I go, man, she's so pretty, but I bet she didn't have a brain cell in her head. <laughs> I really did think that. I'm not lying, because you know, <laughs> and and we start talking, and, and, uh, and I'm trying to be cool. I remember at this time, I was doing the you know, touring and I was doing all this stuff and I was cool, right? And um, so we sit there and the, and the restaurant guy comes around, the waiter comes around and everybody orders and he comes around to me and he says, Sir, what would you like to eat today? And in my most cool term, I said, I would like to order the chicken. <laughs> I meant to say chicken. <laughs> now look, fellas, I don't care how cool you are. When you say, I'd like to order the chicken, and you didn't mean to, it's over. That's how our relationship started. I've been ordering the tick in ever since. <laughs> but I think back, if I had not gone to the lunch that day, I would have never met her. And, and, and you think about these seemingly insignificant decisions that you make, that, that if you don't go through with them, you may never meet the destiny that God has for you. The Bible tells us to not despise small beginnings. You know, some of you have turned down jobs because they didn't offer you the presidency when you started in there. (laughs) And maybe God's given you an opportunity to get your foot in the door so then he can promote you. But you're holding out for a management position. And you just graduated from high school. (laughs) You know, sometimes in life we have to stick it out. Because I want you to understand something. When you look at Moses' life here, it took 40 years for him to be prepared to go back into Egypt. That is a long time. And so we have to recognize in our own lives that we need to slow down and listen to God and then not miss the small opportunities that he puts out before us. Um, Number two on your notes. And this, I love this. What was dead comes to life when we throw it down at God's feet. What was dead comes to life when we throw it down at God's feet. You know, God never does a miracle to show off. God doesn't. Whenever God, whenever Jesus, whenever the Holy Spirit moves and does a miracle, he's not just doing it to show off. God is always doing things for a purpose. You know, God doesn't go, hey, look at this cool trick. Woo, woo. You know, I mean, God, when he does something, there's a purpose behind it. And and in this purpose, when we see God, uh, because here's the deal, right? Moses is over there, and Moses begins to argue with God about all the reasons that he shouldn't be sent to Egypt. He says, well, what if they won't listen to me? And what if they think this? And what if they think that? And he comes up with all these different excuses of why God, don't send me. Don't send me. And I love the way God works. Love the way Jesus works and the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Because God says to him, What's in your hand? And Moses looks over and goes, A stick is a stick. And what does God say to him? Throw it on the ground. And so Moses throws the stick on the ground. And in the funniest thing, in my opinion, in the whole entire Bible, he throws the stick on the ground and it becomes a snake. And what does he do? Runs from it. Isn't that awesome? That's what I'd have done. I'd still be running sean saunders you in here sean's not here sean is a is a herpetologist they're the snake people he loves snakes i don't know what's wrong with him (laughs) snake i mean snake i don't like snakes y'all heard some of my snake stories i don't like them and can you imagine when god when, when moses got this dead stick he may have been carrying this stick around for 40 years we don't know this is a stick and he throws it on the ground and the stick becomes a serpent And then I love it. And he flees from it. I love it. And he fled from it. No, he didn't. He ran like a scalded ape is what he did. (laughs) Because all this time he thought it was a stick and it was a snake. And he didn't, I mean, you know, I wonder if he ever trusted his stick again. (laughs) You know, it just kind of makes you wonder, you know, I mean, what happened. But (laughs) I love that. But I want you to understand that when God turns that stick into a snake, he's doing it for a purpose. And we're going to talk about what that purpose is. Moses' staff, his stick, represents three things in his life. Now, I want you to understand that, that Moses' stick represented the fact that, that he was a shepherd. It kind of showed what his vocation was. But it also represented his income. Moses' staff represented his income. But, but Moses' staff, if you would have walked by and if you didn't know who Moses was, but if you saw Moses' staff... You'd go, well, that guy's a, a shepherd. Why? Because he's got the staff. If I'm wearing one of these, what am I? Yes, I'm a fireman with the silly fire hat. You know, and so there are stations right now, people in your life, if, if you see them doing a certain thing, they represent, this is what they do, right? So if you're wearing one of these, you're a fireman. If you're wearing a stethoscope, you're a doctor or a nurse. You're in the medical profession. You know, if, if you're going through all these different, if you've got a badge on, you're a? Yeah, police or something, okay? So, so understand that when Moses' stick represented more than just a stick, it represented his income. It's what he does. Guys, when you go up and meet somebody and you shake their hand, what's usually the first thing you ask them? If you don't know them. What do you do? What do you do? You know, you go up, hey, my name's Chris Clem. What do you do? What kind of business are you in? What kind of work are you in? And so Moses' identity and Moses' income was tied up in the fact that he had this stick. Stick represented who he was. And so all his wealth was tied up in his sheep. Now remember back in these days, there weren't banks. And so if you wanted to know how wealthy a farmer was or or somebody that raised livestock, all you had to do was go out to them and count how many sheep they had or how many cattle they had or horses, and that would tell you how wealthy they were. So if you wanted to know how wealthy Moses was, all you had to do was go out and count his sheep and understand something. God says, throw down your staff. In other words, Moses, throw down your income. Throw down your income. Throw down who you are, Moses. Lay it at my feet. Here's the second point I want to show you. What the staff also represented was Moses' influence. It was Moses' influence. So it was his identity. The first thing we see is he's carrying this staff, and this staff represents who he is. The second thing we see by this staff is it represented his income. The third thing we see is it represents his influence. This stick, this staff, represents his influence. It's his power. It's his authority. This stick represents the power of who Moses is. I mean, he pushes sheep with it. He pulls sheep with it. All his influence is tied up in this stick. And I want you to understand something today. Here's the deal. What God is asking Moses to do when he says, Moses, throw that staff down. Here's what he's really saying Moses, I want you to lay your whole life at my feet. It wasn't, hey, I want to show you a neat magic trick I learned at God's school. It was, Moses, throw down your staff. I want you to lay everything you are at my feet but here's what happens. When Moses does that, when Moses throws his staff down on the ground, God does something with his life that he never imagined. And he does something amazing in his life. And here's the point. The point is this. If you will lay your life down at the foot of the cross, if you will throw your life down in front of God, he will make something come alive in your life that you never would have thought would have happened. You never would have thought it would have happened if you will surrender everything to him. But see, here's the problem. Most of us aren't willing to do that. See, understand that, you know, God says, I want you to throw down your identity. Moses, no longer are you going to be a cheerleader, no longer are you going to be a shepherd. No, now you're going to be, you're going to work for me, Moses. And so your identity is not going to be anymore about what you do. Your identity is going to be who I say you are. And you need to lay that at my feet. And many of us aren't willing to do that. Or, then he ups the ante a little bit and he says, Moses, throw that down. I want you to lay all your income at my feet. Do you trust me enough to lay everything down at my feet? Because Moses realized that if he was gonna follow God, it was gonna cost him everything. And the question for you today is, have you given God all your income, your ability to get wealth? Have you laid that at his feet? And finally, your identity. Your identity. Are you you willing to lay all that down? Your influence, your identity, who you are. Are you willing to surrender everything to God? Because here's the deal. If you're willing to do that, he will make something amazing out of your life. You know, salvation is the easiest thing to get on the planet. We receive Jesus. We confess our sins. We acknowledge that he's Lord. We invite him to come into our life, and he does. Amen? Amen. And it costs you what? Nothing. God's like, give me all your bad stuff and I'm gonna give you all my good stuff. I mean, what kind of deal is that? That's amazing. But the other side of that is this. If we're gonna become the people that God's called us to be, if we're truly gonna become disciples, we have to surrender everything. It costs us everything. But here's the deal. Some of you, I'm saying that and you're going, I don't know. I mean, that sounds like a lot. You know, I look at our life right now as a family. I'm having more fun. I mean, other than the Rangers losing, it's been pretty good. I mean, you know, <laughs> oh, I'll be all right. But the fact, I mean, it's you guys are amazing, and we live in an awesome place, and God is moving, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. But you know what? If I hadn't been willing to lay all that down, if Trish hadn't been willing to lay that, we would have never come here and met you guys. If it would have been just about money or just about position, if it was just about position, I'd still be at the ballpark. Because all my friends said I was crazy when I left that job. I made them mad because they didn't get free tickets anymore. <laughs> but I want you to know something. To watch, to watch God do miracles in people's lives and to see him change our community, I wouldn't trade that for anything. But you don't get there without surrender. You don't get there without surrender. Here's number three. Exodus 4, 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and he caught it, and then it became a rod again in his hand. Now I want you to imagine this. If this would have been me, I would have already been like 300 yards away when the, the stick turned to a snake. You know what I'm talking about? God would have been, hey, come back, you know? I mean, I can imagine God says, all right, Moses, now pick it back grab it by the tail and pick it back up. So when he reaches down and he grabs it and picks it back up, what happened? Becomes a stick again. It becomes a stick again, and here's the principle. When you pick your stuff back up, it just becomes a stick again. When you pick it back up, when you pick your abilities back up, well, it's all me, it's all me, when you do that, then the stick just becomes a stick. Amen. The only great things that you're going to do in your life are the ones you keep surrendered at the throne. Because if you reach down and pick it back up, it's just going to become a stick. And I'll tell you this, you know I taught the Wednesday night class, and I loved it this past week. And it was very challenging. To me personally as I studied because what I had to recognize in there was the word was talking about have I surrendered my whole life to the Lord am I in love with Jesus as much as I was when I first came to him and the truth is a lot of times I'm not you know I came in here last Wednesday night I'm just going to confess to you because I think think you need to know these things I came in here Wednesday and I had to prepare for the class and do these other things so instead of doing my own Bible study time I worked on my lesson I want you to understand something. Do you think God is interested in Pastor Chris or Chris? Come on. Chris. Why? God is not after your money, God is not after what you can do for Him. Okay? Do you hear that? God's not after your job performance, you are His child. And he loves you for who you are, not for what you do. Not for what you do. And I want you to understand something today. If you're coming to church out of compulsion, if you're giving because you have to, if you're serving because you have to, then your relationship with God is messed up. We have got to get to the place in our own lives where we are serving him because we love him. And that only happens when you get close to him. You know, the disciples, the disciples, after Jesus had gone back into heaven, the Sadducees and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, brought them in. And they beat these guys. They beat them. It's the first time this had happened, okay? And they beat these guys. And they told them, we're going to let you go, but don't you go tell anybody about Jesus anymore. And they let them go. And the Bible said they left rejoicing. Let me tell you something. These are people just like we are. Okay, these are just people. And they were leaving rejoicing. And I read that the other day and it amazed me and what amazed me about it was this. Why did they do that? They weren't crazy. What was it that made them leave that place? Cuz now they'd been persecuted. The Bible said they realized they 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 rejoiced because they'd been recognized to be like him. They shared in his sufferings. But here's the reason they did it. I'm convinced of this. They had spent time with Jesus. They'd spent time with him. They were in love with him. And in our own lives, when it becomes about a religious duty and it becomes about what we do and not who we are, then we're off center. And I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today. Analyze your own life and say, Am I here this morning because I have to be or because I want to be? And listen, there are times where we may have a season where we just have to come to church. I understand that. But are you in love with God? Or has your heart grown cold because if it has there's hope for you and some of you that are more spiritually mature you you remember the excitement way back when Jesus was moving in your life and you're seeing these things but it's been a long time since he's done that and you just find yourself just showing up kind of like driving down the road how many of you been driving at nighttime and you remember leaving and you don't remember how you got there you know what I'm talking about see Ricky afterwards. No, I'm just kidding. In other words, you go on autopilot. And how many times do we do that in our relationship with God? We go on autopilot. We come to church, sing the songs, raise our hands, pray and leave. And nothing really happens. There's no relationship. There's no interchange. And what's happened is that we've just kind of picked the stick up and we're walking around with it. And the power of God is not working in our lives because we've not laid it down in his feet. And some of you are going, man, this sounds really hard. It's just the truth. God hasn't moved. We have. And we have to recognize and get back where we need to be. Here's number four, and I'm going to close. What must we do to truly become all that God has called us to be? What do we have to do to become all that God's called us to be? In other words... How, what do I have to do in my life to, make, to accomplish everything that God wants me to accomplish in my life? This is the key. Surrender everything. Surrender everything. The greatest things in life cost everything. You know, when we married these two yesterday and I talked to them about the rings and what the rings represent. By the way, I can't find my wedding band, Trish. I don't know what I did with it. I'm going to tell you now in front of everybody. So if I come up missing, y'all know what happened. (laughs) But I was explaining to them about the wedding bands yesterday, and I said, This is not a shackle. This is not a chain. This ring does not represent a chain in your life. This ring represents commitment and unending, unending love. And so I would ask you today what about your relationship with God? Is it about commitment? Or is it really about your relationship with God? And what I'm asking you to do today is dig deeper. Dig deeper. Rekindle that flame. I promise you this. Here's the way you rekindle the flame to God. You surrender your life. I mentioned to some of the folks the other night, Wednesday night, a couple weeks ago, I was frustrated. I'd done something dumb, and I honestly don't remember what it was. But I was frustrated, and I walked into my office, and I leaned up against my chair in my office, and I just started talking to God. I said, God, I'm so sorry that I did this. I said, this frustrates me, and I don't want to be like this, and I don't want to do this. And all of a sudden, the presence of God filled my office. And you need to catch this. I wasn't doing some magical thing. I was honest with God. And I was talking to him out of an honest heart. And some of you need to do that. Some of you need to get real before God because you need to understand something. God already knows. The only person that you're fooling is yourself. And you're hurting yourself and you're hurting people around you. You need to get your life lined up with God's word. And as I sat in there and as I began to talk to God and I began to confess to God and tell him how sorry I was, God, and here's why I, I said, God, I'm not asking forgiveness for any other reason than the fact that I want you to be close to me. And I know what I did hurt you, and I'm sorry. And the presence of God filled the room. Some of you need to do that in your own life. Sit down with a pad and paper and say, God, these are the areas in my life that frustrate me. And Lord, I know when I do this, it hurts you. And I hurt people around me. And get honest with God. And you know what's going to happen when you begin to do that? His presence will show up. He will speak to your heart because he is looking for honesty. He is looking for people that are just willing to be open. If you've made mistakes, welcome to the club. I'm chief among sinners, Paul said. And I've made my share of mistakes too. And what I've learned as I'm maturing my Christian faith is God is not looking for me to be perfect. Because he knows I'm not ever going to be perfect until I'm with him. But he's looking for me to keep my heart tender towards him and stay close to him. And some of you need to learn that. Draw close to God, the word says, and he'll draw close to you. And if your heart is cold, you need to make the effort. The Bible tells us to draw close to him, and then he'll draw close to you. You need to step out, and you need to come down, and you need to get into God's presence, and he will warm your heart. Amen? You know, how many times do we see in the Word where Jesus says, come? The Bible says, come, come, come. And and so it's available to us, but it takes effort on our part. Don't sit in your spiritual lazy boy and wait for God to come do everything for you. It's not gonna happen. You need to step out in faith and reach out for him. So let me just say, say this to you today. If you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, this is your opportunity. Make the change. Make the commitment. Draw close to him, and he will draw close to you. Amen? Lay your staff down. Surrender everything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for...